Well, we are continuing in our series that we began last Sunday. This is a six-week series that will take us through Easter. It will conclude on Easter Sunday. And today is week two of our series. The title of this morning's message is God of All Comfort. God of All Comfort. And today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. This will be our main passage for this morning. God of all comfort. And last week, we introduced this series. And we said that as we look ahead to the day that we celebrate our risen Lord, we're focusing all of our attention for these six weeks on one single attribute of God. And that is God's mercy. And last week, we laid the foundation for the series by taking a close look at the characteristics of mercy. In order for us to understand what it means when we say God is a merciful God, and in order for us to understand what it means when we say God calls us to be full of mercy, we need to have a biblical understanding of this important concept of mercy. Now, mercy is a word that we hear often. We hear mercy quite often in our society. But it's important for us to have a biblical understanding of this very important word. And so we defined mercy for you last week. And here's how we defined mercy. This is our working definition for our series. Mercy is this. Compassionate treatment of those in need. Compassionate treatment of those in need. And then we said that there are two specific areas of need. Those in need of, one, being forgiven. And those in need of being rescued. Of being forgiven and of being rescued. At times, we need God's mercy because we've sinned against him. At times, we need God's mercy because we've sinned against somebody else. At other times, we need God's mercy because we are in need. We are in need of being rescued because of no fault of our own, maybe a certain circumstance, maybe a tragedy, some experience in life. For those who were here last Sunday and you heard the message, I have a question for you. In fact, this question, anybody here can answer. You don't have to have been here last Sunday to know the answer to this question. As I ask this question, I don't want to see your hand, all right? So don't raise your hand. This is just between you and God. And this question has to do with the first area of need. Remember, compassionate treatment of those in need of being forgiven. And here's my question to every one of us. Did you need God's mercy this past week because you wronged somebody? You hurt somebody. Maybe with a word. Maybe you were impatient. Maybe you lost your temper. Maybe you spoke badly about somebody. Did you need God's mercy just this past week alone for any of those reasons? I did. I certainly did. In fact, last Sunday when I shared that this coming week, which is now past, when I shared that 
we're going to need God's mercy? I knew I would, and I knew we all would. But you know, you just don't know exactly until you experience it. I lost my temper, got upset, and so I needed God's mercy. I needed God's mercy. And I imagine most of us needed God's mercy in one way or another this past week. Thankfully, his mercies are new every morning. And last week we said that he has mercies for us that are new every morning because new sins require new forgiveness. Yes, Christ died on the cross once and for all, absolutely. But he has forgiveness every day for new sins. And his mercies provide that for us. And not only that, last week we said that his mercies are new every morning because his new mercies give us new strength for new trials. You see, God doesn't give us leftover mercies for our trials for today. He doesn't say, hey, I have this stockpile of mercies from yesterday or the day before. I'll just use it over here. He has new mercies because he knows we need new strength for new trials for that day. And then when the trial comes the next day or the next week, he's got a new mercy for that trial. He does not give us leftovers. Great is his faithfulness. And that leads us directly to our passage for today. And as I read 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'd like for you to count how many times the word comfort appears in this passage. These are five simple verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Regardless of the translation that you're using, no matter what Bible translation, all the major translations include the exact number of times the word comfort appears. So as I read these, these verses, in your mind, just count the number of times the word comfort appears. Here we go. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for our comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are con confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. There's a lot of comforting going on in this passage. So, how many times did you count the word comfort? Nine. Amazing. Nine times. In five verses, Paul repeats the word comfort. The word comfort in the English language, it brings to mind certain things. At home, most of us have our favorite blanket. Right? And there's a reason why they call blankets, you know, comforters. Little kids oftentimes walk around with their favorite blanket, their security blanket. Why? 
because that blanket, no matter how tattered it is, no matter how smelly it is, no matter how ragged it is, that security blanket brings them comfort. When we think about something that is hard and cold, we don't think comfort, do we? Comfort is all about being warm and soft. When it comes to food, we even have an entire category of warm and soft food. We call that what? Comfort food. And every one of us grew up with our favorite comfort food. No matter what cuisine, no matter what culture, we all have our favorite comfort food. And I need your, I need your participation here. Please, somebody tell me a, one of your favorite comfort foods growing up. Who, who, just, just yell it out. Okay, chicken and dumplings. Yes. What else? Fried chicken. Pot roast. Mac and cheese. What else? Whoa, now you're talking. Gooey chocolate chip cookies right out of the oven. Anybody else? Ice cream. Mashed potatoes and extra gravy. Oh, man, I'm hungry. Wow. Now, here's the thing. Every culture has comfort food, and it's usually, and I already heard the word, it's usually something that's ooey, gooey, stick-to-your-ribs kind of food, full of flavor and full of calories. But as we're going to see in today's passage, our usual understanding of comfort doesn't give us the full picture. Which is why it's important for us to understand the biblical concept of comfort. And which is why it's important to understand the context in which Paul wrote this passage. Allow me to share the context with you. In the spring of 55 AD, Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthian church addressing the conflict and the compromise that was taking place in the church of Corinth. We know that letter as 1 Corinthians. He wrote that in AD 55, in the spring. Later that fall, in the fall of 55 AD, Paul made a painful visit to Corinth to address those issues in person. And then, as he went away, he wrote another letter. This time it was a severe letter. It was much stronger and much harder to read than 1 Corinthians. He wrote that next letter in the spring of 56 AD, about a year after 1 Corinthians. And he wrote that harsh letter, that severe letter, to confront those who opposed him and who were undermining the church. That letter is not 2 Corinthians. That severe letter was actually lost. That's why scholars often refer to that letter as the lost letter of Paul. It was the intermediate letter 
which came right after 1 Corinthians. And even though that letter was lost, Paul's companion, Timothy, he brought back to Paul a positive report saying that the Corinthians responded well to that severe letter, that intermediate letter. And so in the fall of 56 AD, Paul wrote another letter after the lost letter, and that is 2 Corinthians. And in this letter, 2 Corinthians, here's what he does. He references that severe letter that was lost. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4, here's what Paul says. I wrote that letter, the harsh, severe one. I wrote that letter in great anguish, with a troubled heart and with many tears. I didn't want to grieve you, but I want to let you know how much love I have for you. So he addressed that intermediate letter in 2 Corinthians. Paul's love for them was so great that he couldn't just stand by and let them live in conflict and compromise. And the key word here is love. His love was too great to allow them to do that. You see, Paul didn't write that severe letter simply because they weren't living up to his standards and that he felt that it was his duty to correct their lifestyle. No. You see, godly rebuke, godly correction must always be accompanied by a genuine love for that brother or sister in Christ. You see, it's not simply just going around rebuking and correcting everybody you see doing something that goes against your own standards as if you're the morality police. That's not the point. Godly instruction must always be accompanied by a genuine love for that person and that person's best interest in mind. Not simply because that person is not living up to my standards. And so Paul wrote that letter, the intermediate lost letter, with a troubled heart. He wrote it with many tears, and he wrote it with great anguish because his love for them was that strong. So that is our backdrop to our passage for today. So as we go back to our discussion on the word comfort, we can look at it this way. Today's passage and our understanding of comfort, it hinges on our understanding of that word. The entire passage hinges on how we interpret the word comfort. And again, our usual understanding of comfort, warm and soft, like a flannel shirt, like fluffy flippers, that doesn't give us the full picture of what Paul is talking about here. There's a lot more to it than that. In John chapter 14, Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he is comforting them with a promise. Jesus says, I'm going to go to the Father, and then when I go, I'm going to ask him to send 
a comforter. And that's why in John 14, verses 16 and 17, it says this. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit. The word for advocate in the original language is where we get our English word paraclete. You see the word paraclete up here, which means the Holy Spirit as advocate, comforter, or helper. Now, for you English buffs out there, for those of you who like English grammar, the, the prefix para, you know that to mean alongside, right? Para. Parallel lines never leave each other's sides. They never leave each other's side. Parallel lines. Paraclete, the English word paraclete, means comforter, helper, advocate. Someone who will never leave our side. The Holy Spirit. So, when we go back to our passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-7, through 7, whenever we see the word comfort, and how many times do we see it? Nine times. In every single one of those occurrences, nine occurrences, the same Greek word, the root of that word, parakletos, is the same root word that we see in John 14, 16, of which we get the Holy Spirit. He is our paraclete. He is our comforter who will never leave our side. Now, why is this important? Well, I'm glad you asked. It's important because the point of our passage is not simply to make somebody feel better about themselves. It's important for us to help people feel better, but that's not the whole of it. Here's the point of today's passage. And I'll share it in the form of a main idea. Here's the main idea of 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7. The spiritual comfort we receive from God is meant to be shared with others for the glory of God. Again, the spiritual comfort we receive from God is meant to be shared with others for the glory of God. It's not just about patting someone on the back. Great job. Get them next time. That's nice. But that's not the whole of it. Remember, Paul is writing to fellow Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, those who have given their lives to Christ and who thus have the Holy Spirit residing in them. Did you know that anybody... Christian or not, anybody can make someone else feel good. Anyone can make anyone else feel comforted in the sense of soothing them. And that's important. That's important. Somebody falls and scrapes a knee. A parent comes along and soothes that child. That's important. In fact, you might know people who are genuinely kind, nice, 
even if they don't have a relationship with Jesus. I imagine many of us know at least one person who is just so kind and sweet and nice, even if that person does not have a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And we could probably learn a thing or two from them. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we have the distinct opportunity to bring spiritual comfort and spiritual encouragement to any given situation for the glory of God. Now, in order for us to understand this passage and the depth of it, it'll be helpful for us to go to the Old Testament. Did you know that oftentimes when you're looking at a passage in the New Testament, it's helpful to go back and maybe find its origins. And so I'm going to invite you to turn to Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 3. And in a moment, I'm going to read that passage, but I want to give you a moment to turn there. As you turn there, I want to set the context for you in Isaiah. The book of Isaiah starts with God's chosen people, pictured as a fruitless vineyard. So imagine a fruitless vineyard right now in your mind. God's chosen people is pictured as a fruitless vineyard at the start of the book of Isaiah. Now, Isaiah is a long book. There are 66 chapters in Isaiah. And for the first 39 chapters, more than half of the book of Isaiah, we have a record of Israel's disobedience and failure and sin time and time again. Thankfully, God is a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and so on and so on. And in the darkest moment, chapter 39, in the darkest of moments, here comes chapter 40. In the darkest moments, here comes a ray of light. Check this out in Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort. Comfort my people. Say it, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her sad days are gone and her sins are pardoned. Yes, the Lord has punished her twice over for all her sins. Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Does verse 3 sound familiar to anybody here? Who else said verse 3? John the Baptist. The forerunner to the Messiah said those very words that we read in Isaiah 40. John proclaimed the good news of the coming Messiah who would change the world forever. And from chapter 40 on in Isaiah to the end of the book, we see one proof after another of God's compassion and comfort. And this is what we read in chapter 49, verse 13. 
It says, sing for joy, O heavens. Rejoice, O earth. Burst into song, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on them in their suffering. Guess what? This was all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He has delivered us from darkness into light. He has shown us compassion and comfort in the midst of our pain and our suffering. Did you know that Jesus not only knows your pain and suffering, but he knows it intimately because he experienced your pain and suffering. Even if you think, no one else knows what I'm going through. Jesus does. And that's not just a, a nice cliche. Here's why I know that. If you have lost a loved one, as I look out there, I see many of you who have lost loved ones. If you have lost a loved one, Jesus understands your pain. You see, because when his very good friend Lazarus died, it grieved Jesus to the point of weeping. You see, Jesus didn't simply cry because he was moved by the death of somebody. He wept because his very close friend, Lazarus, died. Jesus knows your pain. If you've suffered physical pain, if you've had a health condition that's caused you excruciating pain over the years, and there are some, there are some here who've experienced that kind of pain, Jesus understands because he endured torture and flogging. He was beaten. So he understands your pain. If you've been wrongly accused of something, if you've been misunderstood, if you've been spoken poorly against, Jesus understands. You see, because he was hated by some. And he went to the cross because of them, but more importantly, he went to the cross for them. And if there are some here today who are feeling abandoned or feeling alone, let's consider for a moment that in the Garden of Gethsemane, every one of Jesus' disciples abandoned him. One by one, they abandoned him and left him utterly alone. So Jesus understands because he is the ultimate expression of God's mercy. That's why Paul, in our passage for today, he can say this in verse 3, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. Did you get that? So that. We can comfort others. The spiritual comfort that you and I receive from God is not meant to stop with me or to stop with you or you or you. 
there's an equally important component to receiving God's mercy, and that is to comfort others with that mercy. And in the weeks to come, we're going to uh, talk about how we can demonstrate mercy on so many practical levels. This is going to be very practical in the weeks to come. In our homes, in our workplaces, in our communities, we'll see how we can demonstrate mercy. I mean, after all, we've devoted an entire series on just this one attribute because the, the ways that we can demonstrate mercy are endless. And in our time remaining today, what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to talk specifically about how we can demonstrate God's mercy in the family of God, the church. Because after all, Paul is writing to a church that had gone through pain and suffering. He was writing to a church that had gone through conflict and compromise. And so we're going to talk about how we can apply mercy here at our church. Now, every church in the history of the world, bar none, has gone through pain and suffering. Every church has had to work through internal conflicts. Some don't survive those conflicts. That's why we should never take one another for granted. You want to hear something wonderful? I've got just amazing news. This year, our church celebrates its 56th birthday. 56. You can, you can clap for that. 56. Our church is older than I am. Not by much, but it's older. And 56 years is a long time of God's mercy. And we've seen every season in those 56 years. And some of you have been here for many of those seasons. You know, our pastor emeritus, Pastor Mark Hopper, he led our church for 27 of those years. And God has provided faithful leaders all throughout our 56 years as a church. It all started in 1967 with six families, six families meeting in a home in Diamond Bar. And we would not be here today without God's mercy as demonstrated by God's people throughout those 56 years. And in those 56 years, our church has experienced every imaginable season. And like many churches around the world, we made it through a pandemic. We made it through a pandemic. Did you know that today, March 12, 2023, is a three-year anniversary of our first online service, online-only service, on March 12 of 2020. Three years ago, on this Sunday, we all worshipped online, many of you in your pajamas. <laughs> and what a season that was. We needed God's mercy during that season in a special way. Every single day of that season, we needed God's mercy. And every single day in this season, we need God's mercy. 
And like every church around the world, we face challenges that we had never faced before. And as if the pandemic by itself was not difficult enough. During that season, we had all kinds of tensions. Racial tensions, political tensions. It was such a heated season. And during that time, all that pitted one family member against another. One co-worker against another. One church member against another. We needed God's mercy. And so in our final few minutes, what I want to do is this. I want to quickly share with you four ways that we can show mercy here at church. Four ways to show mercy here at church. And don't be surprised if these four ways come up repeatedly throughout the next handful of weeks. Because any of these four can apply in any various context. But we're going to start with the church because Paul's writing this letter to the church. So, four ways to show mercy at church. Number one, be patient with people's personalities. I was going to write quirks, but you can write that in parentheses. Be patient with people's personalities. Let's face it, we all have our quirky behaviors. You might think to yourself sometimes, wow, there are some really weird people here at church. Well, guess what? They're thinking the same thing about you and me. The reality is, there are things that fellow church members do that are just going to annoy us, irritate us, frustrate us. And there are things that we're going to do that will equally annoy them, frustrate them, irritate them. That is why, in his first letter to the Corinthian church, Paul wrote, love is patient because he knew that we needed to be patient with one another. Be patient with people's personalities. Again, we'll talk much more about this in the coming weeks. Number two, do good to those who hurt you. Do good to those who hurt you. If you've been part of a church family long enough, you're going to get hurt by somebody at church. That is a guarantee. You will get hurt by somebody at church. And sometimes, the person who does the hurting might not even realize it. Maybe that person just makes a, a, a comment, an insensitive comment. Or maybe that person gives a misinterpreted Look, that never happens, right? A certain facial expression that gets misinterpreted. Or maybe that person just ignorantly talks about a subject. And so sometimes we get hurt by people who don't intend to hurt us. But nevertheless, we get hurt. And then at other times, people deliberately hurt us. They know what they're doing, and they deliberately say things to hurt us. 
In either case, we are to do good to those who hurt us. We are to forgive them just as God in Christ Jesus forgave us. We're going to talk so much more about this area in the coming weeks. But for now, can I just say this? When we do good to those who hurt us, we're giving them something they need, not something they deserve. When we do good to those who hurt us, we're giving them what they need, not what they deserve. We're giving them just what we received from God. And when we bless someone who has hurt us, we're just simply following in the footsteps of Jesus, right? Number three, be kind to those who offend you. Be kind to those who offend you. This is different than the previous one because at times we might not necessarily be hurt by something that someone does or says, but we just take offense. And we saw this happen quite a bit in 2020 and beyond. At the height of the pandemic, at the height of the racial tensions, at the height of the political tensions, when it was heated, people were offended and offending. During that season, Every time I was about ready to go on to social media, do you, know, do you know what I did? I did this. I went, <sighs> and I'd get myself ready. I'd get all loose and make sure I'm stretched, and uh, I'd pray, Lord, help me to be ready for what I read. That's the type of season we were in. And the reality was, in most churches, you had people on polar opposites, offending one another. The best thing, the absolute best thing that we can do for those who disagree with us is to be kind to them. Again, Paul writes, love is patient, love is kind. And finally, number four, seek out those who are hurting. Seek out those who are hurting. Don't just wait for them to come to you. Seek them out. There are people hurting all around us, and I am thankful that ours is a church that knows how to care. I am deeply thankful for all of you. And I hear that time and time again. Oh, your church it's such a caring church. I hear that time and time again. And we're going to talk so much more about this area in the coming weeks. But for now, if I could just say this. What I'm about to share, I'm just preaching to myself. You're just listening, all right? This is just for me, because I preach this to myself before I preach it to any of you. If we don't know if someone is hurting... Okay, if we don't know that somebody's hurting, it's usually because of one or, one or two reasons. One, we're too busy. 
Two, we're not paying attention. If we don't know that somebody is hurting, it's usually because I'm too busy. And I confess, I'm just too busy. Ministry is so busy. Sometimes I think, wow, why, why are we so busy? Why are we so busy as a church? Sometimes I think that. So many things going on. If we don't know that somebody is hurting, maybe it's because I'm too busy. And maybe it's because I'm not paying attention. And maybe I'm not paying attention because I'm just too busy. So I've been thinking much about that. And maybe there are tangible ways for us to make it that we're not so busy, that we're paying more attention to the things that matter, to the best things. So every morning when you and I wake up, we experience God's new mercies for that day. And they're not meant to end with us. They're meant to be shared with others for the glory of God. Speaking of sharing, I'll close with this. On Good Friday, we want to give some of you the opportunity to come up here on the stage and share your story, an example of how you have received God's mercy in some specific tangible way, maybe through somebody else, or how God has used you to show mercy to somebody else. So we want to hear your story. And this will give you an opportunity between now and Good Friday to be alert and to pay attention to how God might be using you to extend mercy or how God will extend mercy to you. And come Good Friday, we would love to hear from many of you because when we share our stories, it's not to build ourselves up. It's to encourage the body. So please, maybe some of you can start thinking and praying about what you might share to encourage the body. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Thank you for this series. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the exhortation we receive from your word. And this week, as we go forward from here, help us, Lord, to seek opportunities to extend your mercy to those around us. I pray that I would not be too busy to do that. I pray for my friends here that we would not be too busy. And the reality is life is busy. I hear that often. I'm just so busy. Help us to not be so busy so that we don't miss the opportunities to show mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.